is Greek-American. He's a New Yorker. This is a great American success story. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Enlists the support of business leaders, elected officials. Katz and Matitas rub shoulders with some of the most powerful people in the world. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now that's John Casamitidis, a native New Yorker. Mixing common sense thinking with New York sensibility. He's John Casamitidis, and this, this is the Cats Roundtable. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report. This morning, I have the opportunity of having Andrew Wise, who is the president of the RPW Group and who is responsible for directing the firm's real estate investment and leasing activities. Andrew is actively involved in sourcing new opportunities and leading the execution of business plan, and he's very active in the conversion right now to new residential rentals, especially in Westchester. I call Andrew and the RPW Group the leading Westchester developers. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Michael. It's always a pleasure to be with you. So, you know, let's talk about the conversions and let's talk about some of your buildings because I think it's really important there, especially with transit-oriented developments, especially, you know, with the rents are a little lower over there and New York City is too expensive in certain markets. Yeah, so um, I would say over the last decade, uh, Westchester County really went from no new development to, uh, to a substantial amount. And um, what we're seeing is really conversion of obsolete existing office buildings into a diversity of uses, primarily uh, new multifamily rentals, uh, various types of, of retail, including um, entities like Lifetime Fitness and Wegmans, uh, a tremendous amount of, of medical and some other ancillary uses. Uh, coupled with that, we're also seeing developments of, uh, of new multifamily on existing office sites. So you, you start to see Com a true complete conversion of the property, uh, ripping down of the buildings and then rebuilding. There's that. And then you're yeah. also seeing uh, they're maintaining the office building and adding either a retail component or a multifamily component, a medical component. So let's talk about some of those things that you've done with regard to those areas. Sure. So at 1133 Westchester Avenue in White Plains, um, we it's a 70-acre site, uh, a former one of the former IBM headquarters. It's a 600,000-square-foot building. Uh, we have HSS there. They have their Westchester location in that building. The, the building is performing well. Uh, but we, what we embarked on approximately five years ago was we subdivided about 20 acres of the 70, and we just completed a new 303-unit uh, ground-up rental development uh, that, that opened for leasing in January. And the, the response, frankly, like most of new development in the region, uh, has been terrific. Now, you've got tax advantages for this? There, there was uh, some tax advantages. There's also a, a, uh, a, a um, affordability component. What was uh, that, the affordability component? Uh, approximately 10% of the project is affordable. Um, and it's, you know, it offers individuals. This is not in the downtown. This is a little bit more of a suburban type location. But uh, it offers individuals an opportunity to be, you know, 10 minutes from the White Plains or Rye train station, but you're also you're abutting the Maplemore Golf Course, and, and you have access to some of the, the new amenities that I mentioned, like the Wegmans and the Lifetime Fitnesses. Now, what about with regard to um, uh, with with regard to uh, let's say buses to the train stations? So you, you're not a walking distance. You're not a true transit-oriented development, which is right next to the trains or nearby. Correct. So. Um, I mean, what we found is that the, the office parks are incredibly complementary to the multifamily. We have existing shuttles that take folks from the office parks to and from the train station. Those same shuttles can, can do the same and are doing the same for the residential, um, for the residents. And uh, in our case, most of our buildings are, are larger in size, call it north of 250,000 feet. We have amenities like cafeterias, gyms outdoor spaces, daycare centers, sundry shops. Uh, so as an example, our project at 1133 Westchester Avenue, the residents that are moving into the Halden on that site get the benefit of, if they'd like to, using a lot of the office amenities. What about the new property project you're planning to work on, Webb Avenue? 
So that's a, a 200 unit uh, ground up development. Also um, on a on a site that we've owned for a long time, it it has a, a rather large office building. Also approximately it's about a million feet covered, um, and we're going to be building 200 units there in Harrison. Um, and we're we're quite excited for for that endeavor. It was just approved at the end of the year, uh, and we envisioning starting to build at some point in the fourth quarter of the year. Now, you are major owners of office buildings in Westchester, also in Stanford. So recently you, you made an acquisition from Empire State Trust over there. Let's talk about your thoughts of why you went into buying a new office building and planning to com- convert it and monetize it, as they would say. Sure. So there's obviously uh, been a lot, of, a lot of disruption in the office market uh, across the country. But I would say um, for the right type of office asset, and when I mean right, I really I, I, I focus on uh, the, the physical bricks, the amenities, uh, the location. Um, and I think for us, really, what we value probably most now more than ever is the partnership with the tenants. I'm very happy that you were able to join me today talking about Westchester, and thanks again. Thanks very much, Michael. This is the Cats Roundtable. the man who is New York, exploring the truth, telling both sides with common sense thinking. This is the Cats Roundtable. Here's John Katsimatidis. Calling in right now on, on the phone, we have Eric Schuffler. It's Mother's Day, and today is Mother's Day at uh, in Staten Island and everywhere else in the world, <laughs> but I understand the Ferry Hawks have a special game at 11 o'clock. And mothers get in free? Tell us. Mothers get in free. What better way to honor mom, bring her out to the ballpark for free, 11 o'clock. You can still do brunch afterwards. And, John, kids and moms get to run the bases after the game. So, you know, we're trying to create family-friendly, family memories. What better thing than, you know, a mom and her kids taking a lap around the field after a fun Ferry Hawk game and then, start, then finishing off Mother's Day? Well, play ball and uh, have a great time uh, today and Mother's Day, and uh, I'll see you later. All right. Go Moms. It's the Cats Roundtable. You're a great American. You're a classic example of the people who built this country. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Great American, a great New Yorker. This is the Cats Roundtable. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as uh, Dr. Sky, and he allows us on weekends to look up in the sky, dream a little, and what is up there, what's going on. Uh, Steve Cates, uh, give us an update uh, the our discussions for today. Well, John, good morning to you and the listeners. Happy Mother's Day to all mothers past and present. Just a little history on that. It was conceptualized back in 1870 by lyricist Julia Ward Howe, who many people may not know, wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And what do we know? 1914, Congress passes a bill. So happy Mother's Day, 109 years strong. But now, Is there John, a we song turn... for Mother's Day? I don't remember hearing one. You know, I don't think there is. That's an interesting uh, question. I, I Somebody never has anything. to create one. Absolutely. But imagine that, John, 109 years of this tradition, but it goes globally. And then what do we do? We talk about things that are out in the deep cosmos. And we start off this beautiful Sunday morning with a story. How about this? Neutrinos hold the key to the dawn of time. Now, what's this whole thing? Well, John, when atomic nuclei come together like they do in the sun, the creation and fusion, they produce these neutrinos. What are they? They're powerful subatomic particles that pass through everything. And here's an amazing statement. About 100 trillion neutrinos pass through our bodies every second. Well, they don't harm us. They were created at the moment of the Big Bang. And this is a particle in nature that supposedly has no electric charge and maybe a small or no mass. But guess what else, John, was created at the same time, most physicists believe? Antimatter. That may have also been created at the time of the Big Bang. So what's antimatter? Think about this. You could pay off the federal deficit. If you had one gram worth of antimatter, some say, scientists say, that it's worth $62.5 trillion. But how do you capture it and contain it? 
it's not an energy source, but if two of those forces came together, like the antimatter particle and the matter particle, they produce this amazing explosive force, and that's putting it mildly. So aren't these things amazing that we find out in the universe? It's just totally well, yeah. mind-boggling. I, I, I like to meet the person that came up with your valuation of $62 trillion. Maybe you could run my 401k plan. <laughs> there you go. But at least there's promise out there. But, you know, we talk about the mystery of the week, and here, here we have one that's kind of closer to home in the solar system. We find out now, John, that there's now evidence, at least from the astronomy side, Voyager 2, when it passed the planet Uranus back a long time ago, they're looking over old data, and now they claim that the seventh planet may have water ice underneath these different oceans, or underneath these different satellites, I should say, which may be water ice oceans underneath about four of these Uranian moons. Now, this brings up the big question. How do we know, or when did we know, that more likely water does exist in the, in the solar system? We find out that water's on the moon. We know a little bit about that, not free-flowing. Maybe underneath Mars, as you and I talk about. And then even these moons of Jupiter, you know, some of these icy moons. So what the point is, the mystery is, where did all this come from? How do we even take advantage of this for future space exploration? But isn't that amazing, John, that that water may be more prevalent in a hidden way in the solar system than we ever thought? Uh, you know, absolutely. It looks like water is every place. And, right. and, the, and the question is, is that one of the building blocks of life? It sure is. And people say and speculate on the UFO side that the reason that intelligent or so-called intelligent, you know, beings from other worlds, if they're out there, I think they probably are, and you and I both agree, the reason that they may have come toward the Earth is because they can detect that this is a water planet. What? The big percentage that we learned in grammar school, you know, over 75% of the Earth is water. So it's interesting to note that there may be some way for future habitation if we can figure out how to drill into the surface of these objects and harvest the water, which is the precious commodity, as we know, the understatement of the year, in sustaining life. So that's kind of really cool. And then, John, we always talk about what people can see in the sky. And here we go, really briefly. How about this? A different twist. I watch it out here in Arizona just about every other night. Two big spacecraft, the International Space Station, and now the Chinese have built this pretty massive space station called Tiangong. So how do you see it? So I recommend people go to this website. It's called heavens-above.com. You just plug in your city. And, you know, this is amazing, John. The ISS, the space station, it's been up in orbit for 8,225-plus days. That's amazing. And we find out that the first submarine officer, you know, from the United States Navy, is now on board this particular space station, along with, you know, six other individuals, Captain Stephen Bowen. But, John, if you look at the Chinese space station, I just watched it the other night. You can see it sailing across the sky. You don't need telescopes or binoculars. But this Tiangong has three people on board right now. They've been up there for over, imagine this, over 573 days. And the spacecraft's been up in orbit for 742 days. So China is moving very, very rapidly with big rocket power. Space station. Now, that thing was built, John, in just record time. It took us almost, what, 20-some years just to get to the size it is now. So these are things people can see. I don't know. Have you ever seen one of these spacecraft uh, ISS? I haven't, but I live in New York City where there's more smog or whatever you want yes. to call it. Oh, absolutely. And, and, I, and I, don't, I don't go to the roof of my apartment building to, to look up. And, uh, Understood. So many lights. But just to tell people, that space station, John, is actually so bright that even people in downtown New York, believe it or not, you could actually see that. It can be almost as bright as Venus. So there's a lot of hope out there. And like is, I say, is, there a, is there a website when you, you stick it up on, uh, onto the sky, it tells you where everything is? Well, there's many on there. On your iPhone or something? Oh, absolutely. I don't particularly say, you know, there's so many of them. If people just Google in their Android or their, you know, iPhone and Apple you know, apps, you'll find them. And some of them are good, and some of them may not be so good. But here's the issue if you get technical on it. A lot of times if you're in the dark sky and you're holding up your phone to the sky, it's so bright that it kind of ruins your night vision for at least a while because it takes about an hour. If you're out in the darkness of sky, people don't want to see lights, of course. But people may not know this. It takes about an hour for your eye to get adapted to the dark if you're really in a dark location. But those apps are kind of cool. So there's so many of them that are out there. 
And we recommend, of course, John, going to WABCRadio.com for our Dr. Sky experience. Always great. Well, on a Saturday night, you yeah. can listen to Cousin Brucey, which is a great music. Oh, and absolutely. look at the sky and, and, and dream. Absolutely, John. That's what we do here. We open up people's minds and expand and kind of take away from the hustle and bustle, right, of the regular nine to five or the regular political world temporarily. And I appreciate being here with you and the listeners as we wish mothers past and present the happiest and happiness. Happy Mother's Mother's Day. Day. Yes. You bet. Thank you, Steve Cates. And we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, John. This is the Cats Roundtable. Telling it like it is, giving you both sides of the story with common sense thinking. It's the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Governor Patterson. Uh, this beautiful Sunday with, uh, well, it's Mother's Day, Governor. What are you doing on Mother's Day? Well, I'm going to go and visit my mother uh, pretty much right after we finish talking. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. I mean, uh, I wish I had a mom to go visit, but I'm gonna, uh, I'm staying with my uh, wife, who is a mom. Um, tell us, uh, there's so many things going on in the state. Where do you want to begin? Well, let's start with a problem that I've addressed on this program before, why people just change based on the uniform that their friends are wearing. So, for instance, some time back, uh, Governor Abbott of Texas decided to bus some migrants to New York City, and everybody thought that that was a great idea. I didn't, per se, think it was a great idea, but I thought it was a brilliant political move, and the Post actually wrote about that. I did say that I thought that it would have been a little easier if he had informed um, Mayor Adams, and I got shouted down, that's crap, he doesn't have to interview Mayor Adams, I was told by Sid Rosenberg, (laughs) actually, one morning. But now, in reverse, Mayor Adams has bussed some migrants to Rockland County, and uh, County Executive Day doesn't like this at all. And uh, all of a sudden, the same people who thought it was okay when it was done Here in New York City, it's not okay because he sent them to Rockland County. And I just find that that to be profoundly revealing of how we've lost our sense of judgment and our sense of sometimes you have to recognize that something that your adversary does is actually working for them. Now, I don't think that any of these situations are going to solve any problems and moving people from wherever to whatever else is like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. We've got a big problem. The uh, 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 Section 42 is now sunset. More people are coming into the country, and we have absolutely no idea, nor do we have the resources to deal with them, particularly when we have a number of people who are living on the streets as it is. Understood. And there's so many people living on the streets uh, uh, Governor, I mean, uh, uh, later on, I'm talking with Dr. Peter Mihalos, and we're talking about the homeless on the streets. We're talking about the veterans on the streets. And uh, it doesn't seem like there's a, a plan to help any of those people. No, and that's because <clears throat> we collaboratively could put our heads together and really address problems if possible. But right now, I think we spend more time on the rhetoric than the action. Yes, we do. Um, what else would you like to talk about this uh, Sunday morning? In the situation involving the subway rider who came to the aid of passengers who <clears throat> were not just fearing that they were in danger. Apparently, the perpetrator had thrown some things at people who were on the subway. <clears throat> he put him in a chokehold. Uh, He didn't apparently do it the right way because if you were to do it the right way, you could pretty much um, gain control over the other person within 8 to 10 seconds. But because of that, the individual who started the problems in the first place was struggling, and two other passengers helped. And in the process of trying to restrain him, he lost his life, which is a terrible tragedy about an individual losing their life. But trying to assess this as an execution or as if it was done by the police rather than a private citizen is going way beyond uh, what is reasonable under these circumstances. I will only say this on behalf of the people who really feel 
that it was <clears throat> a travesty that that happened. And it's that there were a number of incidents years ago that went unaddressed where individuals of color were attacked by different people and lost their lives and there was never any trial or any uh, procedure. So that might be why the grand jury was, uh, was convened because the DA might have thought that it might at least let people feel that there's a process at work and that they couldn't just send the person home as they did the first day and not charge him. Well, the Marine was, was trained to kill and our government trained him to do that. And I'm sure, but I'm sure he didn't mean to do it, but it, it was another tragic situation. Uh, it comes down to, uh, I can't say that other, other four-letter word on the radio, but crap happens. Yeah, and, you know, in addition, I think sometimes in the moment, even if he was a Marine, he did something because he, he saw danger for other people and tried to prevent it. And I, I don't think he earned the, uh, he did not meet the threshold where I think you charge someone. Let's say if he choked him and left him on the ground and then came back and sat on the person and, and you have two separate actions, you might have done it in that case. But I, all the pr passengers seemed surprised that the individual lost his life. And look, the individual had his own problems. There were times apparently that he was pretty successful. He was a dancer. But on that particular day, the, and apparently on the day before when he tried to throw someone on the subway tracks, uh, clearly his future, even if he had survived, was not going to be a positive one based on what had happened before. Agreed. Now, Thursday afternoon, the Supreme Court threw out the conviction of a New York State guy that you probably knew, a guy named Bob Procopo that worked for uh, uh, Governor Cuomo. Joe Procopo. Joe Procopo. Uh, I know Bob Procopo. Bob <laughs> Procopo worked for AIG. Uh, Joe Procopo, uh, they threw it out. Um, uh, is it, is that, was that a similar to what they did with Joe Bruno? Yes. In the case of Joe Bruno, they were suggesting that he traded some horses to someone and that that was uh, a... Uh, in, in a sense, a payoff for something they had done for him or something like that. And that case was thrown out. I never thought that case should have been brought in the first place. In this particular case, <clears throat> they were saying that Joe Prococo was not working for the administration. He was actually working in the governor's 2014 campaign. He was working with me because I was the chair of the state party, and we were trying to get uh, Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo reelected at that time. And, you know, I guess he had some conversations, but... It really just only tangentially represented what would really be bribery or payoffs or corruption, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm happy to see that Joe's out. So uh, Joe Bruno, a Republican, uh, uh, Joe Procopo, uh, a uh, Democrat, uh, both of them. The, uh, the federal government went after them. The US, which U.S. attorneys were there, do you remember? I think the Eastern District, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I think the Southern District went after Prococo. I'm really not sure of that. Was it, uh, With, was it uh, 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 Santa Schumer's former chief of staff? Uh, no, because he was out by that time. Preet Bharara. He was Preet Bharara. Yeah, he was out by 2016. And uh, yes, and the okay. Northern District is uh, who went after Joe Bruno. Understood. Uh, we got a minute left. Anything else you want to tell people? Well, I just hope that on uh, Mother's Day, where we all should appreciate all that our mothers went through to allow us to be here, and, and I will love my mother forever because <clears throat> she forced me into the public school system when they weren't allowing disabled students to be in those classes. And my friends who didn't get in, while I thought they had a great deal of ability, never reached the potential that I thought they had. So uh, here's to my mother and everyone else's mother who makes us all happy as we grow up. Well, thank you, uh, Governor Patterson, for coming on this morning. And uh, thank you for everything you've done for uh, our city, our state. God bless you and God bless America. And uh, God bless uh, your wonderful wife, who uh, Margot Katsimatidis, who we left out of the Mother's Day wishes.
I I will remember her. I'm taking her out to uh, lunch this noontime this Sunday. Fantastic. It's the Cats Roundtable. Here's the man who is New York, exploring the truth, telling both sides with common sense thinking. This is the Cats Roundtable. Here's John Katsimatidis. What is today is former Congressman Peter King, and uh, he is annoyed. What the heck is going on in our city, our state, our country? Uh, Congressman King, where do we start? Yeah, John, I'll tell you what I'm really angry about is this whole thing of uh, indicting uh, the, uh, to me, the, uh, the hero Marine, the hero Marine who put his life on the line, who risked everything to protect other passengers on the subway is now being charged with second-degree manslaughter. To me, this is outrageous. If there's anything, there's two main things that are wrong in the city as far as crime. One is the tremendous increase in crime on the subways and the streets. And the other, uh, other one is that too often people don't get involved to protect their fellow citizens. Well, in this case, there was a clear threat. People were sending uh, 911 messages out saying they were, they were threatened. There was a person who said he was willing to die. Uh, this is Neely. Uh, he's uh, screaming and yelling, throwing things. And people were terrified of him. And then this Marine, on his own, jumped up, took him down, and held him on the ground, held him on the, on the floor of the, of the subway, until the police could get there. And he was assisted by two others. And in doing that, he put his arm around the guy's head, and they say it's a chokehold, whether it was or not. The fact is this Marine was trained in self-defense in the uh, Marine Corps, and he was, there's no, there's obviously no evidence that he intended to kill him or even hurt him. What he wanted to do was keep him under control until the police got there. And this was a violent person. He was, uh, it was a warrant out for his arrest, for punching a 67-year-old woman in the face on the street, unprovoked. He had more than 40 previous arrests, at least three or four of them for assaults. He was uh, clearly a, he was mentally ill, but he was also dangerous. This wasn't just some harmless Michael Jackson impersonator, the way that, you know, the way they're trying to describe him. He was absolutely dangerous. The people on the uh, train were very concerned. They were scared stiff. And, and uh, you know, the Marine was doing what he thought was best to protect other people. Now to turn around and indict him on felony charges of manslaughter, uh, where he spent up to 15 years in jail for putting his life on the line to protect others, uh, to me is an outrage. And considering that Alvin Bragg has refused to charge so many other people, the fact that he has reduced so many felonies to misdemeanors, that he would do this against what I consider to be a hero, it shows how, how, not just how dangerous, but how insane New York City is becoming. It, it, it is crazy, and you're right. I think this guy was a hero. He was trained as a Marine to protect Americans, and he was protecting the people in that station. I mean, if he wanted to break the guy's neck, he would have broken the guy's neck, I'm sure. Right. But, but he, he was, like you said, he, he was holding him down along with two or three other uh, people right. in the train waiting for the cops to come. Yeah, while he was holding him down, this guy was kicking and screaming. And uh, if, if, if the uh, Marine had you know, let up on that at all, this guy could have gotten loose again. It'd be more dangerous. So to me, uh, again, put yourself in that position. You're in a subway. It's so isolated. People are, are fearful. People are yelling. This madman is trying to hurt them. And you're holding him down. He's kicking and screaming. He's trying to get away. And all you want to do is hold him until, until the police get there. I don't think there's any evidence at all, or there will be any evidence at all, to show that he knew this was going to kill the person, that he intended to kill him. He just wanted to keep him down on the ground until the police got there. And he needed two or three other people to help him. That's how, much this, how violent this guy was. I mean, he was, uh, again, uh, he, no, he did not deserve to die. But on the other hand, Marine does not deserve to go to jail because he had no intention of causing him to die. At that stage, there was no—I I see no alternative, and we should be commending this person. I mean, and now what's going to happen, even if you are a, a, a physical fitness expert, if you are a martial artist, if you are a retired cop, are you going to jump in to help if uh, it turns out that you may be the one who goes to jail? It just is absolutely terrible. So I think it makes the city more dangerous and creates more racial animosity. And, and, and I've no if doubt somebody else, Peter, 
Congressman, if somebody else is getting hurt on a bus, on the streets of New York, on a, on a train, why should anybody else jump in and help when the district attorneys are having that kind of attitude? Yeah, that's the way, John. That's that to me is probably as bad as it is for the Marine himself. It's going to be worse for the people of New York. It's, it's going to scare away good, dedicated citizens who want to come to the rescue, but are afraid that if they don't do it, you know, the perfect way, they're going to be charged. I mean, this is absolutely. It'll uh, be Dodge so City all over good. again. Absolutely, yeah, and that's the last thing we need. It's dangerous enough, and this just adds to it. And it's an, another reason why if. Lee Zeldin had been elected governor and removed Alvin Bragg. We, you know, we wouldn't be in this position. Understood. Uh, anything else you want to tell the uh, all New Yorkers at, at uh, the Sunday morning Mother's Day? What are you doing for Mother's Day? Well, actually, I'm, I'm still recovering, so I can't go out to any restaurants or anything. So as tragic as it is, I think my wife is going to have to cook uh, dinner for herself and me on on, on Mother's Day because I. Uh, so much to stay homeless. I get out and I can walk around, but I can't be going out to restaurants and eating restaurant food yet. I'm making a great recovery. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying it's uh, she's going to have to be doing the cooking today. And uh, uh, so I guess it's sort of, uh, Mother's Day turned upside down. Understood. Um, and give Margo my best again. You know, uh, give Margo happy Mother's Day for me, please. Congressman Peter King, thank you. And I'll tell Margo. And thank you for everything you've done for our city and continue to speak out for our city, our state, our country. God bless you and God bless America. Thank you, John. I and hope and, 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 and a happy Monday. Mother's Day to you, your, your wife. Rosemary, okay. I Rosemary. Again, I hope to see you in the studio on, on, on Wednesday. God bless. Take care. Thank you, John. This is the Cats Roundtable. classic example of the people who built this country. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Great American, a great New Yorker. This is the Cats Roundtable. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. With us today is Nicole Magiotakis, Congresswoman from Staten Island in Brooklyn. And uh, Nicole, uh, uh, happy Mother's Day to your mom. Thank you, John, and, and to Margo as well. Thank you. Uh, now, uh, we got a, a, seems like we have a crisis on our hands uh, between the borders on, uh, uh, in Texas and the Rio Grande and uh, what's going on in New York. Where do you want to start? Well, look, I think it's, uh, we're seeing the policies put in place by President Biden and the policies put in place by our mayor come head to head here. Uh, Republicans have actually passed legislation to address the crisis by giving the Customs and Border Patrol agents what they need, what they've requested, which is more resources, more people uh, to be, be agents, and then also technology as well. Plus, returning to the policies of the Trump administration that had stemmed the flow of the migration. Uh, on the local level, the mayor this week said he was no longer going to put people in luxury hotel rooms, which was certainly a victory for the taxpayers who were expected to pay at least $5 billion annually for that plan. Uh, but the bad news is, is now they're looking to parks and military installations and other facilities, police academy, the former police academy, to be housing these individuals that are entering into our country, uh, claiming asylum when two-thirds of them do not qualify for asylum. So we are working to try to continue to pressure the president through the border U.S. Senator Schumer should work with us to put together a, a plan. If he doesn't like our bill, then he should pass his own bill, and then we can reconcile them. Uh, and, and we need our mayor and officials to put pressure on the president to do the right thing here and rescind his executive orders that created this crisis the very first day he came in office. Nicole, I, nobody can understand. Does anybody have a clue why uh, President Biden is doing this? He's putting the whole country at risk. It's absolutely inexplicable. It really is. I don't know if it's incompetence uh, or uh, there's somebody malicious within his administration advising him to do this. Uh, but the reality is, is it's unsustainable. It's unsafe. 
We've seen uh, multiple people on the terrorist watch list caught at the southern border and even in the interior of our country. Uh, and in addition to that, you see the fentanyl that is streaming over our border, killing Americans. New York City, by the way, alone, 26 percent increase in, in, over, in drug overdoses the very first year that Biden was in office uh, when he put in place this policy of open borders. So it's certainly having an effect on security, on safety, on health. Uh, and, and really, it hurts the migrants that are truly trying to apply for asylum, right? Those who are in the system right now. And there's a 10-year backlog at the New York City, at the New York City uh, facility where it's very unfair to someone who's coming here and applying for asylum the right way to now get uh, in this backlog because of individuals who are falsely claiming asylum at our border. Understood. Um, but... Um... Where do we go from here? I mean, we can't feed the entire world. Yeah, John, it's it's um, we need the Democrats to come to the table. That's, at the end of the day, we need the mayor to challenge this rights to shelter law. It was meant for New Yorkers who were homeless, not for individuals who strolled into our country two weeks ago. Uh, let's be let's be honest about that. Under under their interpretation of the law. If, if all 8 billion people on the planet came to New York, they would be entitled to housing. That's just ridiculous. We have homeless New Yorkers who need that support, who need our help, and we're already facing a housing crisis as it is. On the federal level, we need pressure on Senator Schumer to come up with another plan. If he's not going to pass our plan, then let's see where we can find common ground. But aside from that, we need uh, a new president. I mean, there's nothing, there's, there's no other way to really say it. We can't keep electing these people who are supporting these open border policies uh, that are destructive. Now, in New York, there's a lot of internal strife going on uh, with uh, uh, New York City sending people up to some of the uh, suburban communities. Uh, and I think you, you spoke on, on uh, Friday, I think you spoke to the governor. Uh, what did she say? What's going on? Well, the governor's solution right now is to ask for more money from the federal government. And my concern is, is that the federal government provides more funding, that they will just continue to expand these uh, tents, expand more hotel contracts. They will continue and enable this to continue. And it cannot continue. It is just completely unsustainable. So I don't support what the, what the governor is asking us to do. What I do support is working together to see if, uh, we can have a border security policy that stems the flow. Then let's work on the visa program, get more work visas, uh, get more family-sponsored visas. I'm okay with that. Uh, we want to make sure that we know who is entering our country uh, and they are vetted properly. And we need the judges to clear this backlog uh, and determine who is truly an asylum uh, candidate and that approve them if they are, and if they are not, then they need to be deported, and they need to apply the proper way. Well, I mean, it's just things are, are out of control. The border is out of control. Coming up to New York City, New York State is out of control. And, and, and I don't understand uh, that President Biden still has a favorability uh, thing of like 36%. Who's the 36% that are voting for him? <laughs> you know what? It's really uh, shocking. But I, what I will say is this. You know, our bill that we passed this week, John, gives the Customs and Border Patrol agents exactly what they've asked for. OK, and President Biden should listen to them. The guys that are on the front line doing the job every day, they are being inundated by the drug cartels who are profiting 13 billion dollars a year, human trafficking and drug trafficking. OK, they are the ones who are the winners in all this. Uh, migrants are actually, in many cases, they're, they're either dying, they're being exploited, they are uh, being forced to pay the cartels a tremendous amount of money uh, to enter. And so the president should not allow this nefarious activity to take place. And I don't know if you saw, but the DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency, did an amazing job. Over the last year, they had arrested over 3,000 individuals who are members of the Mexican drug cartels who are here in the United States. It's an entire network, and they are poisoning our children. So the president needs to stop it now. The DA did a great job, but they shouldn't have to be doing this inside our country right now. And if the president secured the border, they would be in a much better place. 
congestion pricing. All of a sudden, uh, uh, President Biden uh, uh, and his uh, people approve for Manhattan, and it's like pulling another nail in the coffin. What say you? Yeah, I mean, look, it's another cash grab. That's the governor, the legislature, the state, and the MTA. They concocted the scheme to grab another $23 from uh, New Yorkers. And in my, my view, uh, no New Yorker should have to pay $23 to enter another borough, borough in the city in which they live. And um, I'm fighting to stop it. Uh, as you know, the uh, Biden administration has sort of green-lighted it, but we are are – continuing to push to stop them because they did not follow what we believe they needed to follow, which was uh, a, a federal law and to conduct a thorough economic and environmental impact study. It's sort of this uh, mediocre study that shows some solution shifts to the outer boroughs. Uh, and we want that complete study done, you know, the full ramifications and the latest project so we know what the impact it will have on the surrounding communities. Uh, so we are looking at our legal options right now, working with my colleagues in a bipartisan manner at uh, the city level and the federal level. And even the governor of New Jersey is very much opposed to this plan. Nicole Mayotakis, Congresswoman, thank you so much for uh, speaking out. And thank you so much for calling in to uh, WABC. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thanks, John. Just keep up the good work, John. Thank you. It's the Cats Roundtable. classic example of the people who built this country. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Great American, a great New Yorker. This is the Cats Roundtable. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. With us today is Zach Williams, star reporter of the New York Post uh, in Albany. And nothing happens in Albany unless Zach knows about it. Zach, give us an update. The current crisis is the migrants. What's going on? Well, John, it's been a big week for the ongoing crisis in New York City. You're going to thousands of migrants that have come into the city since last summer um, after arriving at the U.S. southern border. You know, Mayor Eric Adams has said for months that the city is nearing its breaking point, particularly with the expiration this week of the pandemic rule Title 42 that allowed immigration officials to support a lot of people that cross the border illegally soon after they arrived. Right now, there's about 40,000 migrants currently in the care of New York City, and there's been a lot of fighting in the neighboring counties uh, as the mayor seeks to bust many of them outside the city. Understood. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a fight going on between the city and uh, Mayor Adams and the, uh, some of the suburbs. Uh, who's in the right on that? Well, we'll leave that up for the courts, I guess. But, you know, the mayor announced plans last Friday to bus hundreds of migrants to Rockland and Orange counties north of the city. And their their, uh, county executives there got ahead of the news by imposing emergency orders barring local hotels and short-term rentals from accepting the migrants. Now the New York Civil Liberties Union is suing. And in the meantime, the city has begun moving at least some of them to a hotel in Newburgh in Orange County. And it remains really unclear, you know, just uh, how much longer these emergency orders might stand or whether the courts might support the idea that local leaders can proactively bar people from a uh, public place of accommodation in their own communities. You know, the bottom line is, though, is Republicans, Democrats agree that, you know, a federal solution would be ideal. You know, the, the migrants cannot work for 180 days without any changes. The city is currently putting the, the bill to, to feed and, and house them. And then, of course, everyone just kind of knows that the immigration system in the U.S. is such a mess. But some sort of comprehensive solution at some point is going to be needed to ultimately resolve this issue. But for now, we got tens of thousands of desperate people from, you know, escaping poverty and civil strife in countries like Guatemala and Venezuela. And they need help. The city's doing the best they can. But Zach, we can't take care of the whole world. 
We can't take care of the whole world. You know, we have poor that need help in New York, too. Well, then the U.S. is going to have to do something about current uh, federal law that gives people a right to seek asylum as soon as they step into the United States. Maybe that means more judges, more immigration officials, um, or some type of legal changes. But right now we have the law that's on paper, and it clearly just isn't working. Yes, you're you're correct. Uh, Anything else you want to tell all New Yorkers this Sunday morning, Mother's Day? (laughs) Well, it's going to be... There's a busy time in Albany in the last few weeks of the legislation. legislative session ends on June 8th. A lot of big bills could happen, especially on topics like housing and a million other issues. But for now, you know, the talk of Albany is this migrant issue and the growing desperation in New York City to deal with it. Understood. Well, Zach Williams, thank you for calling in this Sunday morning and uh, happy Mother's Day. And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Same to you. Thanks again, John. Thank you. This is the Cats Roundtable. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story with common sense thinking. It's the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Ken Pakowski, and he is a member and uh, of the New York State Business Council. Uh, representing 3,200 companies in New York. And uh, he's very much concerned what's happening in Albany uh, and uh, some of the uh, things that the uh, the State Assembly and State Senate is doing. Uh, Ken, uh, tell all New York uh, City, New York State people what the heck is going on. Oh, sure. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, New York State and New York City, for that matter, have taken very aggressive approaches to reducing uh, uh, carbon emissions in New York State, even though New York State is already a pretty clean uh, economy, we have low emissions, we have relatively low energy use. So we've passed laws that say by 2050, 27 years from now, there'll be zero carbon emissions from any source in New York State, cars, buildings, trains, off-road equipment, all of the above. And right now, we're going through this process of deciding how you actually get from here to there. What specific mandates, restrictions, bans are necessary uh, uh, to meet those targets? And then along the way, we also have commitments to changing our entire power system to a zero-emitting power system. That means replacing all of our existing natural gas power plants with solar, wind, offshore wind, and probably some things that haven't even been invented yet. Now, is that possible? I mean, uh, uh, to me, it, it sounds like uh, fantasy land. I mean, how can we become efficient if, if America... North America has 100 years' worth of oil, and they want us to convert it to something that we don't have. Yeah, and that's the – not only is it technically possible, the question is, can a state do these things on its own? These are going to add significant costs to the cost of doing business in New York to the cost of living in New York, costs that most states aren't imposing on themselves. So even though there are things that we could do better, you know, New York State has already moved its power generation system away from coal to natural gas. We have a lot of hydro. We have a lot of nuclear. We have a lot of non-emitting sources. So if we can do things that are, 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 are useful and reduce emissions and have other local health benefits. But to go this far, this fast, at the state level, when other states and nations aren't doing anything along these lines is going to make this incredibly difficult to, to do in a way that's not going to do significant economic damage to the state. And, and you're right. And I'm still scratching my head uh, how we're going to absorb all the electricity we need uh, after shutting down Indian Point. 
that's part of the, the, the immediate problem. The state is committed to a power uh, a trans- transmission line from Hydro-Quebec down to New York City. It's going to cost us $15 billion to build, which is largely being done to replace the lost Indian Point generation. Uh, we're building a lot of offshore wind. not built yet, uh, but that's going to be replacing uh, both Indian Point and other power plants that are being forced out of uh, operations in downstate New York. And the the one, there's a lot of major concerns with what New York State has done so far to do this implementation. One of the glaring uh, absences, if you will, is any detailed discussion of how these expenditures are going to impact at, you know, people's power rates. What's the What's it going to mean for the energy costs to households, to small business, to large manufacturers? We have no guidance on that. And our concern is that the reason why we're not talking about it is because there are going to be significant. And uh, it's going to have uh, real uh, adverse impacts in sooner rather than later. Understood. Uh, what should all New Yorkers know now? I mean, uh, uh, any other input that you have, uh, what the effects are going to be over the next three to five years? Because, you know, we're, uh, we're all living now and and uh, we're praying for a better New York uh, that we can afford to live here. Uh, what say you than that? And John, John, I think it's true that most people are busy living their lives uh, to, to be really closely follow some public policy issues. But people are waking up to this. Uh, earlier this year, when all they first started talking about banning the use of gas-fired stoves in, in homes, got a lot of attention. New York City has its own uh, restrictions on use of natural gas that are kicking in as early as 2024. And condo uh, committees are starting to realize this is going to impose significant compliance costs on their homes, and they don't know how they're going to deal with it. So we, we've been sharing these issues and concerns with our membership for the last several years. Uh, increasingly, the, the residents and voters of the state are realizing how these aggressive goals are going to impact them in their pocketbook, going to impact uh, – how they can drive, how they build and operate their homes, at some point what kind of jobs are going to be available to them. And the legislature is going to have to be responsive to these real-world concerns. Understood. Well, Ken uh, Pakalski, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for keeping all New Yorkers uh, uh, up to date. And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's the Cats Roundtable. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 